Father God, thank you for this man of God, Lord Jesus, that you've brought and gifted to the Life Church, Life Church. And Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that, yeah, you would really speak through him today and that he'd feel your pleasure and anointing and your power as he does so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I'm here to talk about LED lights. That might be yours, Si. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? My days, there are a lot of you here this morning, which is great. God is doing some amazing stuff, isn't he? It's great to be a part of this. Um, we're on a journey at the moment. We are looking at this idea of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. I've called it Echoes of Jesus. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know how you can get echoes in the past, but hopefully the concept works. I don't know. Um, but um, if, you, if you haven't been journeying with us, uh, the first week Alicia brought us the story of how we see Jesus in the creation story, right at the beginning, where we see Jesus when the earth is created and we are first given our purpose and our call. Last week, we looked at what happened to God's people when they lost sight of what their purpose was and how in that moment God made the first move back towards them. That it wasn't them that reached towards God, but it was God who moved first. He moved first and he continued to move first through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And today we are looking at this idea that God brings life through Jesus and we see God bringing life through Jesus in the Old Testament and the New. So God makes the first move, setting people free from sin, from hurt, from pain, and then God brings life. And so that's the journey we're heading on today. So last week, we looked at the Israelites escaping from Egypt, okay? And we're going to pick up the story from that very point. You've escaped from Egypt, you've crossed over the Red Sea, and suddenly you, you meet this man, Bear Grylls. He's waiting for you on the other side of the river because suddenly you're in a survival situation. Okay, so Bear Grylls, he often is known for survival activities, if you haven't come across this guy. And he always says these words, which are the, it's the rule of three. Okay, the rule of three. And we'll have that on the screen as well. You can go three minutes without oxygen. You can go three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. And it's amazing that the Bible actually captures this journey. Is this not matching up? No, it does match up. We're all good. 30 days. Sorry. Yeah, that doesn't quite match up with uh, what I've got written down here. Sorry. Should have checked my own notes. Um, but yes, 30 days, three weeks. Um, you know, what's nine days between friends? Um, oh, yeah. That is... <laughs> all right, all right. Life and death. Thank you. Oh, dear. This is not going well. Um, but immediately, this group of former slaves find themselves on a survival show. They're no longer owned by a slave master, Pharaoh, who tells them what to do, when to wake up, how to do their jobs, how to do everything about their lives, forcing them to live in a certain way. Suddenly, they find themselves completely in the middle of nowhere, in a desert. And the first thing, as hopefully this sign will detect... Uh, oh, Hello, one second. Um, they, they find themselves, after three days, with need for water. 
The first issue is water. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. Uh, for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and it became fit to drink. Now, there's a, there's a whole load of a miraculous element there in that throwing a piece of wood in some water is making it miraculously able to drink. But the thing that we are seeing here, the journey that is being revealed, is that God is providing for his people in the desert. Three days in, the people are on the verge of death, and God provides for them. But he doesn't just do that. He lays out a challenge to them, and he also lays out some assurance. And he says this, it follows up uh, in Exodus 15, 26. He says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord who heals you. There is a healing process that is going on. So what's God asking for? He's asking for the Israelites to listen carefully, to do what is right, and pay attention to his commands. And we'll pick this up later on as we go through the talk. But in exchange for that, what God is saying is he won't bring any of the diseases that he brought upon the Egyptians. For those of you not familiar with the story, um, there were a number of plagues, 10 in fact, plagues that, um, that God brought upon the Egyptians one of the world superpowers of the time. And you just think, you're in this moment following God into freedom, and he's just defeated one of the world's superpowers. To have the assurance that he's not going to do that to you, pretty good news, I would say. Pretty good news. And then he says that I am the God who heals you, and they are a nation in need of healing. This slavery has put burden on their shoulders that has seen person after person die while working, get maimed, brutally hurt, and they need healing physically, they need healing spiritually, and they need healing emotionally as well. And so God is doing something there where he says he's going to bring healing on them. And that healing is for a purpose. And then roughly around three weeks later, they find themselves in need for something else, or 30 days, depending on which one of the uh, things you're paying attention to. Um, they, they find themselves in need of something else, and that's food. And God provides miraculously this thing called manna and quail. Um, both of those are quite confusing, really, why he would provide manna and quail. Quail, these tiny little birds, and manna, which is a sort of, well kind of like a flour-type substance. Um, so they were able to make bread for that. And that's much more miraculous than I have time to talk about today, but it's a, a really awesome, really awesome story. But when the first century Jews met Jesus, they challenged him to recreate this miracle, to gain their trust, as if the King of Heaven incarnate in Jesus Christ has to do something to gain our trust. I love this as an idea. They go, well, come on, seriously. I mean, Moses in the Old Testament, he did this, and that was how he got our trust back then. So surely you as the Son of God here incarnate on earth, you're going to do the same, right? You're going you're to earn our trust in the same way, right? And so they ask him this. They said, what is required? Um, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's not work. 
that's not work, is it? We looked at this last week, this idea that actually the wages of sin, the work equals death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So it's not work to do what God requires. It's to believe in the one that he has sent. That is what Jesus is asking for. That is what God is asking for, is the belief, not actions or work. And so they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Perform for us. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who's given them bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us always this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty or never be thirsty. And this is where we really clearly see Jesus tying up a link between the Old and the New Testament. Because in the desert, Jesus was the provision of God in bread and water in a parched and barren land. Jesus, the one that carried the Israelites through the desert, saying, if you come to me, if you believe in me, you will never go hungry and you will never be thirsty. And um, how Exodus describes the provision of water in the Old Testament, in that journey through the desert, is this idea of the living rock, that Jesus was the living rock from which living waters flowed. And Peter picks up this concept in, um, in his letter where he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The provision of water in the desert came through the living rock, the living rock, Jesus Christ. And so Peter tells us that that rock is Jesus Christ. The rock in the desert is Jesus Christ. That's echoed by Paul as well, the apostle, who says the same thing, that Jesus was the rock that traveled through the wilderness with the Israelites. Jesus, the living rock. But Peter goes one step further than what Paul says, and he says that you also become like living stones. When we choose to become Christians, when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, it isn't just that Christ is the living rock. It's that we too somehow get called into becoming living stones, living rocks that get to do the same work and have the same purpose as Jesus Christ himself when he was on the earth. And those rocks, you, me, every one of us, we get to be part of the process of building God's temple, God's presence here on the earth. 
people often talk about this idea about church not being a building, that church can be absolutely anywhere where two or three are gathered. And I think this is the strongest message that God puts out, that Jesus puts out in the Bible and says, you know what? The temple isn't about four walls, bricks and mortar. It's about people. And he says that I am the living stone, and alongside that, that you become living stones. You get to build with me. You get to build a temple. You get to build a thing of beauty, something of worship to God. And these rocks are there as people for the benefit and blessing of people. The living rock poured out living water to bring life in a desert. In a barren land, the living rock brought life. And then we get called to be living stones too, to build a temple to bring life in today's society, in what is a spiritually barren land. The living rock brings life where there is no life. The living rock brings hope where there is no hope. In a survival situation where life and death are seconds away, the living rock brings life, and the living rock brings hope. And you too are those life bringers. You too are those hope bringers into the world. That is what it means to be someone of faith. That's what it means to be someone who follows the Christian faith. That is what it means to be someone who says that they follow Jesus. To be an imitator of Christ is to bring life where there is no life. Yeah. Hallelujah indeed. Hallelujah indeed. So I think that's the powerful thing, isn't it? That that is what the Christian message is all about. That's what the biblical message is all about. That all through the Bible, that God is bringing life where there is no life. In creation, there was nothing. The earth was dark and void, shapeless. God called life where there was no life. In the desert, where it's barren, God calls life where there is no life. In every one of our situations, which look difficult, which look desperate, that look beyond hope and look beyond salvation, God speaks into those situations and calls life where there is no life. And he calls us, miraculously, to be a part of that. How amazing is that, that we get to be a partner with God in that. It's an awesome thing. You know, and it, it uses the word in, um, in Exodus that they were tormented by thirst. Tormented by thirst. How many people around us are tormented by their desperate need for meaning, for purpose, for salvation? And we have life. We have hope. We carry that in us quite literally, as we travel through daily life. And so this is a challenge for us as imitators of Christ. Where are we on this? Are we behaving like the living rock? Are we doing justice to that term of a living rock? Do you bring life? Do you bring hope? Are you carrying salvation into those difficult situations? That when those around you are pressed and tormented, are they who are desperate, and thirsty for living water, are you 
the living rock that flow that allows that living water of Jesus Christ to flow out of you and bring life. Because that is what it means to be an imitator of Christ. As those around us search for purpose and meaning, as those who search and wander around a desert for water and for food and for shelter, are we the ones who can bring that cup of cool, refreshing water? Or are we the ones that withhold that? And so in Christ, the Israelites had their physical needs met. In Christ, we saw the living water flowing directly from the living rock. In Christ, we saw the bread of life being given through the provision of this manna. That is Christ meeting the physical needs. But we don't just see Christ there. Right at the very point in creation, Alicia taught us in the first week that the word of God spoke and the world came into being. The word of God being Jesus Christ himself. God made the first move towards us in the word of God. And once again, in the desert, the word of God appears. The word of God appears to them. And you know, I see in what Jesus went through when he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights for himself, what he said there, which again was a reflection of some Old Testament scripture, but he says that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The physical needs are met, but you can't live on those alone. That actually there's got to be the word of God. And that too brings life. And so as God brought physical life and physical salvation in the desert through the provision of water and through the provision of food, he brought life in the desert through his commandments. Something we don't spend a huge amount of time looking at because so many people can parrot them off without really ever thinking about them. But the Ten Commandments being the focal point in the revealing of God's word. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't create idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie and don't covet. I'm sure we all know those all too well. But this is the first time these slaves are hearing these things. They've been under the control of a brutal regime where murder is a currency in which they dealt in. We talked about Moses last week and how his response to violence was more violence. Don't murder. Suddenly something new. We are blessed here in the UK. We are blessed in many societies around the world to have a justice system that is based upon the Ten Commandments. That murder isn't legal. It's good news. It's good news. Stealing, also not legal. It's good news. It's based upon this revelation that God gave to a group of freed slaves in the desert. Our society can trace a lot of its justice system and a lot of its roots back to God's commandments to these people. The word of God dictates the law in our nation. How cool is that? How cool is that? And so for these Israelites to regain their distinctive nature, 
to really understand what it meant for them to be the called nation, the nation that is supposed to be a blessing on every other nation. They had to learn what it looked like to live differently again, to live differently to the superpowers around them that would lie and steal and take what wasn't theirs for their own glory and for their own fame. That was what the world around them was doing. But God was saying, you are here to do something different. You are blessed to be a blessing. So how can you do that? What is that going to look like? How is it going to be different? And what God is calling them to do is to carry his name, to carry his way of living into the world. And often when we talk about do not take the Lord's name in vain, we, um, we look at it in a very one-dimensional sense. And we, we sort of narrow that down into quite a simplistic view of that, which says don't swear. And don't get me wrong, it's good advice. Don't swear. Don't say the Lord's name in vain. But what God is saying here too is if you are going to pick up my name, if you are going to take my banner upon you guys, and you are going to be my people in this world, don't carry it in vain. Don't dishonor me in the way that you are carrying yourselves in this world. That is what he's also saying here, is that as we go about our daily lives, we can't just come here eat the bread and drink the wine of communion, or in this case for these guys, to drink the living water and drink, eat the bread of life and then go away and leave exactly the same as we arrived. We have to come to the living God and be changed in our approach so that we carry something different into the world around us. And that is where we see Jesus revealing himself in the old and in the new. Because what he's saying to us is, carry something different into the world. Carry my life into a barren place. So don't carry the Lord's name in vain. If you are going to represent Jesus Christ, which in very nature as Christians, we are taking Christ as one of our distinctives in our identity. If we are going to carry that, what does that look like? How are you carrying that around with you in the world to those who need that touch of God? Are you carrying it like a heavy burden? Is it, is it a burden to be a Christian? Is it a weight upon your shoulders? Or are you wielding it like a weapon? Are you wielding like a, a weapon to judge and to punish others around you and say, this is what the Bible says, don't behave like that? Are you wielding it aggressively at people? Or are you carrying it lightly, like that gift that was freely given in salvation? That's the question that God is asking when he asks them not to take his name in vain. It's how are we going to represent him in the world? Light Church, do we bring life where we go? Are we carrying life when we go out from this place?
You know, when the Israelites made the decision to follow God and follow Moses through the Red Sea, I mean, that took a step of faith in itself to watch a sea part before you and walk on dry land at the bottom. You have to choose to trust that those waters aren't going to recede at some point around you. But as they passed through that water, they died to an old way of life. They died to a way of living that was no longer going to be their distinctive. And they made a decision to live in faith, to live differently. And the scriptures tell us that it's the same in baptism. That with, in baptism, we are buried with Christ. We sang that song this morning, that Christ was buried. But the body began to breathe. And so in being buried with Christ in baptism, but rising up out of the water again in life, we died. As Christians, we died to a way of living. We died to a way of living that is not distinct from this world, that is not carrying life into this world. And so when Christ rose again, he brought new life. When Christ rose again, he didn't just bring new life, he brought fullness of life. And so my question this morning is, are you bringing it? Are you bringing life? Are you going to bring life? Or are you bringing in, uh, living in exactly the same way that you lived before Christ came upon you? And maybe there are elements in that journey where you go, yeah, in that area I can see that I'm, I'm living differently. But in that area there, I'm still living in the way that I lived before I received new life. Jesus provided in the desert. He provided bread. He provided water out of, out of the living rock. The streams of life flowed. In Jesus, we see in the desert that he provides the living word. And I think that every one of us this morning needs that in our lives. Every one of us needs to know that God will meet our physical needs. He will provide. He will provide for us physically. But he also will provide spiritually too if we will allow him to pour his living water into us so that that living water may flow into the world around us. So that is where we see Jesus in the desert.